Bienvenidos a la Iglesia de Agora Bible Fellowship. Me llamo Juanito Gordito. And uh, as Pastor John did say, uh, we, we uh, did take a group of 21 uh, families, five different families, uh, went down to Mexico, six, five, I don't know, five or six different families, um, went down to Mexico. It was an awesome time. We left the day after Christmas, which I was cursed for by the mothers that went on the trip, uh, being, being the the day right after uh, some serious celebrations going on, and, uh, and I came back, um, last, we all came back last night, and uh, it was just an awesome, awesome trip. God did some amazing things. We saw uh, people come to the Lord, um, and God used our silly dramas, and the songs, and the games that we played, and face painting, uh, and candy, and gifts for His glory, and uh, it was just cool to experience that. Um, I did catch a little something, something, I don't know what, but um, if I start sounding like Darth Vader, um, I'll take, take a drink here, here and there to resolve that. But one of the things that happens when you go away, especially for those of you who left on vacation, is you come back with a lot of mail. And uh, you, get, you get quite a bit, uh, especially this time of the year with, with Christmas cards um, and, or New Year's cards. Uh, since they've been after Christmas, they just didn't get them out in time, and uh, with the, the letters and whatnot. But as I was uh, starting to go through some of the some of the stuff, you got you know Christmas cards, and mainly the mail. You know, you get bills and bills and estate auction flyers, another bill, magazines, um, a packet of information that I need to read later, uh, more flyers. Uh, but then you come to the coupons, and, and I used to throw coupons away, uh, and then my wife has now become this mega couponer, and if she doesn't save at least 50% when she goes to the grocery store, it's been a bad day. And so I used to throw these away, but I have learned since then to never throw anything like that away, so we keep those, um, even though it takes up space, and I think there should be an app for that. You also get packages, um, and uh, I don't, you know Amazon this time of year has become pretty big. And uh, I think they're just the, the best marketers. I mean, their boxes have smiles on them. There's just something to that. When you get it, you, it makes you smile knowing, oh, hey, so there's something here. But I got a gift this year that came in the mail, and uh, I want to share it with you. It's a very special gift for my wife, and uh, it's, it's a bobblehead of me. My, my wife turned me into a bobblehead. So, uh, you know, waving. And uh, she said I should wear jeans and a white shirt this morning to match it. And I said, no, I'm definitely not going to do that. That's just weird. But, uh, but also, uh, I think she just got it so that she had a husband that would all say yes all the time. So, so and it, it's really funny. Um, and you know, you really haven't been uh, here on earth unless you've been turned into a bobblehead. And there's just something, you know, I, it's going to sit on my desk and it's going to be fun. Uh, but it's better than being a hula girl, I guess, and just turn into that, but definitely a bobblehead. But I, I'm excited, and as we get mail, as we go through uh, the mail, you know, we pull out those personal letters that have been written to us. It's a lost art these days of writing letters to someone. We use text messages, Facebook, Instagram, I don't know what other programs there are, you know, but emails all the time, you know, you're constantly getting emails of personal nature. 
And one of the things that we're going to look at this morning is a personal letter that Paul wrote to a friend of his named Philemon. And, uh, and I want you to open up your Bibles to Philemon. It's, it's a very short letter, and you may have skipped over it several times, but if you hit the book of Hebrews, go to the left one page, because it's literally 25 verses, and that's it. It is 25 verses. In the blue Bibles, it's either on page 845 or some of the Bibles, it's weird, I don't know why, but it's on page 967. So, 845 or 967. And in honor of God's Word, I would love for us to all stand as we read the book, the entire book of Philemon, this personal letter. I know it'll be a long time as we read through this letter, but 25 verses, that's it. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father God, as we enter into this message this morning, 
as we look at this personal letter written from the Apostle Paul to his friend on behalf of a slave that's run away and is now returning back to his owner. He returns back different, different for eternity. God, this morning, may we leave this place different for eternity, giving you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we look at this letter written from the Apostle Paul, written by the Apostle Paul to Philemon, we come across some key players. We have Philemon and his family. We have what's thought as his wife, Aphia, Archippus, probably their son, and written to the church that meets at their house. They basically had a home Bible fellowship in their home, which was also known as the Church of Colossae. The, the book or the letter to the Colossians was most likely sent with this letter to Philemon. And Onesimus, this slave that ran away, probably after stealing something from Philemon, ends up in Rome and comes across Paul. And while Paul is spending time with Onesimus, Paul leads Onesimus to Jesus Christ. And then at this point says, you need to go back. It was a very difficult task to go back after running away, possibly after stealing something from the slave owner. The slave owner had every right to take the life of a slave that had done something like this in order to not encourage others to leave. It was swift justice, no need for any judge or court or anything like that. A slave that disobeyed was taken care of just like that. And Onesimus faces a difficult challenge of being changed, having his eternity changed for him, knowing that he needed to do what was right and go back and confess of what he'd done. And Paul writes this letter on his behalf and sends it with him and says, go back. The least punishment that Onesimus could have received in that day was to have a, the letter F branded to his forehead so that everyone would know that he was a fugitive that disobeyed and would forever be marked. Just like the book, The Scarlet Letter, and having to wear a mark. This was branded into the forehead of the slave that left. So not knowing what was going to happen to him, but knowing that Paul was writing this letter on his behalf, he goes back. And so we see this house church, this church that's been growing, this church that Paul has written another letter to, we find ourselves with these key players here. We also find that this was written from a Roman prison. 
where Paul was staying. He was on his last leg, and he closes the message saying, hey, prepare a room for me. I'm hoping things will turn out all right, and I'll be able to come and see you. But it doesn't happen that way. And this letter, this personal letter, which doesn't address any doctrinal issues, any heresies going on in the church, any matter dealing with the church specifically, is placed in the Bible. And I've really fallen in love with this letter. As I've been studying it and meditating upon it, I've been asking myself from this letter three questions that I think are raised in the verses as Paul is writing to his friend. The first question is this, is what are you known for? What are you known for? I think that's a very interesting question. I I got to take my daughter, Katie, to Mexico with me. And as we were sitting one day doing our devotions, I was going through Philemon and read that verse to her. And I started asking her, Katie, what's mommy known for? She said, well, she's caring and loving. Okay, what's your baby brother Josh known for? He's smart and funny. All right, what's dad known for? I'm thinking, yeah, come on now. It's a good one. He's fun and playful. I'm like, okay, well, that's not really spiritual, but all right. But having a fun and playful spirit. I want us to take a look at verses 4 through 7 and see what Paul's friend Philemon was known for. Verse 4 through 7 says this, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all His holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Verse 7, your love has given me great joy and encouragement Because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. I had the opportunity to visit with Roland over the last several months. In two different hospitals, at his home, at the convalescent home that he was staying at. I remember back in July, I went with Paul Miller, and we went and visited Patricia and Roland in their home, and I was telling Roland, who couldn't speak that many words, but you could tell in his eyes how engaged he was with the conversation and how much he wanted to speak. And I shared with him about all the leadership training I did for some pastors down there and how amazing the trip was. And he looked me in the eye and he grabbed my hand 
And he said something I couldn't understand. And Patricia leaned in. And he said it again. And Patricia said, he's saying, you're my boy. That's all he could get out. You could tell in Roland style he had some leadership principle or some deep theological point he wanted to share. But all he could get out was, you're my boy. And so last week, I went to visit Roland in the convalescent home. And he couldn't talk, but his eyes were still there. I grabbed his hand, and I read these verses to him. And I said, Roland, your ministry not only has refreshed my heart, but you have refreshed the hearts of the saints around the world. I could tell he understood, and he nodded his head. And I think about Roland, and I ask myself this question, what was Roland known for? Roland was known for his leadership. He was known for going around the world and training leaders, developing leaders in the church and sharing Christ with people. And he left this earth leaving a legacy and generations of followers for him. And I asked myself this question, John, what are you known for? And I ask you this question, what are you known for? And oftentimes, for some of us, it's easy to answer that question for us. But what would your spouse say? What would your kids say? What would your neighbors say? What would your coworkers say? What would the barista at Starbucks say? They're known for their half-calf latte, pumpkin spice, something or other. But as we look at this passage, Philemon was known for three things, three major things. His love for all of God's people. And he was also known for his faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, he was known as an encourager for refreshing the hearts of the saints. 
Someone who refreshes the hearts of the saints is a special person. Someone that encourages and spurs one another on to good works. What are you known for? Maybe for some of us, we have some positive attributes that we can say about ourselves. She's a good cook. He's a handyman. He helps out. She's a strong businesswoman. She's passionate about her love for Jesus. But maybe there's some negative ones. Positive would be he's a hard worker. Negative would be he's a workaholic. There's a delicate dance you play in what you're known for. But see, in this, it's not something that we have to just live with and have it be so. God's given us more time on this earth to change that. And so the question is, not just what you're known for, but what do you want to be known for? I've taken on a challenge of getting in shape, and I, I want to be healthier. I want a personal thing for me. I want to be thinner and healthier. Not that I want to be known around the world for being as healthy as I am or, you know, be Jack, whatever, juicer guy. Whatever, you know it is. The older generation knows what it is, I don't know. Uh, but I want, to, I want to develop that. And that's something that I can change. It's not easy, but it's a discipline. Each day, Working out. I've now taken up the insanity workout. It's insane. But I've seen my body change. I've seen the results. I haven't changed my eating habits so much to see more results. But I'll start that after the new year because that's you know when everyone starts those things. In the same way, what do you want to be known for? Do you want to be known for loving God and knowing His Word? Do you want to be known as a prayer warrior? I'm not saying it's easy to change those things. It requires discipline. It requires hard work. I haven't sweat so much in my life than with this workout. Yeah, it's gross, I know. But it's a workout. And same thing with our spiritual lives. It's a workout. It's a discipline. And so in the space, write two or three things that you want to be known for and you want to work for. Maybe a New Year's resolution of something that you need to take on spiritually. What do you want to be known for? The second question that this passage, this letter, gives to me is the question of what 
are you? I kept asking myself, what am I? And it's kind of this big 30,000 foot view question of, you know, who am I kind of thing. But verse 11, I want us to read together. Verse 11 says this about Onesimus. This slave that's run away, he says, Paul says this about Onesimus. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm going to teach you some Greek this morning. Two words, pote, say pote. Denuni. Pote, denuni. Pote means once was in the past. Once was useless. He describes Onesimus. And then Paul, in his style, uses a Greek phrasing, a play on words, when he says, denuni, but now, but now he is. Useful. The word, the name Onesimus, means useful. Pote, useless, denuni, Onesimus, useful. You see, Paul is sharing here this idea. That Onesimus once was something in the past. He was a slave that had run away. He disobeyed. He was rebellious. He was doing what he wanted to do. He was making bad choices. Denuni, but now he is useful. I was sharing with Darlene Childress as we were driving down and her kids and my, my daughter were in the back and we're driving down to Mexico and we're talking through the message and whatnot. I was talking about the idea of in God's hands, different tools are used for different projects. For example, you're not going to use a hammer to open up a letter. While it would work, and you could probably figure out a way of getting a letter open, you want to use a letter opener. A hammer is used for hitting nails, for building. But oftentimes we say, well, we all need to become this, or we all need to become that, or we all need to have this spiritual gift, or this spiritual gift. And as I look at this, Paul's saying he once was useless, but now he's useful. That usefulness isn't because he had certain gifts. It was because he gave his life over to following Jesus Christ. And Onesimus is saying, I want to follow Jesus with my life and be used in the hands of the Master in whatever way he sees fit. I see Wendy Winningham here. She's used, 
here to teach Sunday school. She's being useful for Jesus by using her gifts. to train up my child at Sunday school. Marianne Miller is useful by using her gifts to listen to children read verses to her during Awana. Laura Massey, Becky Heatley, leading small groups of junior high and high school girls and loving and caring for them. Pat Garrett, using his IT knowledge to make sure that the staff has Wi-Fi and computers that run. It's been a challenge for him, but he has conquered it. Dave Ireland, serving in several capacities, but sitting that's the CD ministry. And giving away CDs of messages so that people can be inspired by the word that is brought from ABF. The Shimmicks, the coffee ministry. I mean, I could go on and on. God's using these people in different ways. Not everyone needs to be a small group leader for the youth ministry, nor do I as the pastor want everyone to be a small group leader because it's requiring the right tools for the right job. But who are you? How were you made? And how can you be useful? That decision to follow Christ, that dividing line of saying, I I'm no longer going to live to myself. I'm dying to myself. I'm going to follow Christ with my life. It's a radical change. It's a change for eternity. But it's not a change that in the past, it's a continual change of becoming more useful and honed for the master's hand. I want you to hear a story from someone in this church, that Pote was once useless, rebellious, wandering De Nuni, but now is useful for God's glory. Will you invite Darlene Childress to come on up and share her story? Will you welcome her to stage? It's on. So I just have to say, if you go to Mexico, do not ride with John. Oh, because you might end up up here. So that's kind of how this happened. You know, I went to Mexico with, with John, and we were in the same car together with our kids. And, you know, you spend a lot of time talking and telling your story. And after I was told my story, John's like, oh, you have to tell it at church. Oh, what? I don't want to do that. So, um, so I'll tell you my story. And what's interesting I love about everyone is that we all have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. We all have a time um, where we were, you know, useless and now useful. Um, so this is my journey, um, sort of the <coughs> beginning of it. 
I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley, and I um, <clears throat> grew up going to a Nazarene church. And uh, I grew up, I would never say I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with a follower of Christ. My mother um, took us to church, and I did learn about Jesus at an early age. But there was all sorts of other things going on in my family and my home that um, made the messages a little confusing. And uh, when I was 10 years old, I went to a Billy Graham crusade, which is funny to me. And I accepted Jesus there with the thousands of people. Um, and I went forward, and, um, and I really did understand what I was doing. I made a, a you know, focused commitment to Jesus. And, but over the next few years, as I went through adolescence, uh, I just... I really needed a rescuer, and I knew Jesus could do it, but I, I, I just didn't completely trust, and I wanted to live my, for myself and live for, do my own thing, and when I was 15, I made a very conscious decision to not follow Jesus anymore. I just, I remember sitting at a park and saying, nope, I'm done with God, and um, it really was a big turn. And uh, for the next few years, I, um, since this is a child-focused service, I will keep it child-friendly. I made a lot of bad decisions and hung out with a lot of kids who did not lead me in good paths. Um, and as I said earlier, I grew up as a Nazarene. So all my life, I thought I was going to go to Point Loma Nazarene College in San Diego. Um, but then when I graduated from high school, I wasn't really a follower of Jesus, really, so I couldn't go to Christian college, but I still moved to San Diego, and I went to San Diego State, um, and uh, if you know anything about that school, so I had some big adventures there, big, uh, big you know, uh, made a lot of bad mistakes, and um, I lived in Mission Beach, San Diego, and just had a kind of a wild adventure, um, and it was spring break, my sophomore year of college, and I went to Mexico, to San Felipe, San Felipe, and it was a much different Mexico trip than I just experienced <laughs> this past week. Um, and I came home, uh, my mom had asked me to go to Easter service with her, and I was so far from God, like, what? <laughs> um, and she had she'd asked, she begged me to go with her. And so I did, and um, I really have no idea what was said in the service. I wasn't really clear thinking. And, but I did feel that stirring in my heart that, that uh, where I was, what I was doing was not right and was leading me on a very, very bad path. And so the pastor had said, if anyone wants to come forward and pray, and somehow ended up forward praying with this guy um, who I didn't even know. It wasn't my church that I grew up in. And, uh. He, he said, what are you doing up here? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and I was just crying and crying, and I said, I need a change. I need a change. And uh, the pastor prayed with me, and I, I didn't really understand what was happening in my heart at that time. Um, so I went home, and <laughs> this was 1995, and The Lion King was very popular at this time. And I was watching with my little nephews, and, you know, there's this scene where Simba's father's like, remember remember. And I was sitting there like, remember. And I was feeling very connected to like, remember your past. Remember your first love. Remember me. And it was really God saying to me, you know, remember that I, I, I have been there for you. 
and I will be there for you. Um, uh, so I was still very confused, and I had to go back to San Diego to go back to college. And I picked up my roommate from the airport, and uh, she said, how was your weekend? And I said, oh, it was all right. I went to church yesterday. She's like, yeah, me too, you know, Easter. Like, no, I really went to church yesterday. She's like, yeah, me too, like I really went. No, I really went to church <laughs> yesterday. Uh, and uh, she didn't understand what I was doing or saying, and neither did I, but I knew that I had, something had happened. I had had a transformation. And the way that I really knew that was there was peace in my heart. And I had been so not at peace, so restless, just this wandering girl. And um, I didn't know what to do, though, like how to change. I, I just knew that I couldn't continue doing what I had been doing. And so what, what I, you know, it took me a lot of years, really, to redeem my life. But the difference was that I wasn't trying to do it by myself, that really Jesus was there, and he was giving me peace. And every door and opening just kept, you know, I just, I went back to my, like, little Nazarene friends from San Diego. I found them. I'm like, hey, remember me? I'm like, when we were eight, can I <laughs> hang out with you? Um, <laughs> and and that's, that's really what started me um, on this path towards, you know, following Christ, and it's been more than 15 years, and um, God's done amazing things, so I just wanted to encourage you all that you are all useful, and he has a path and journey for you. Awesome. Thanks, Jenny. <laughs> See, Darlene had that pote de nuni moment, like many of us, when we go, you know what? Can't do it on our own. Denuni, a new creation, but now there's newness that's different. You see, Jesus forgives us while we are still in our sin, but he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us there. He transforms us into something new, which leads us to the third question that I've been asking myself from the book of Philemon is, what are you becoming? What are you becoming? And verses 17 through 20 talk about this. Paul says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. You see, this Danuni moment requires help from others. Paul had brought Onesimus in and has called him his son. And he continues to lead this young believer, this young follower of Christ, and is now sending him back. And he does this amazing thing. Paul lays his reputation on the line 
for young Onesimus. Paul, in these verses, puts his name, his reputation, and his own resources up for the sake of a runaway slave. When was the last time you or I put our reputation on the line for someone else? That we took a risk on a young believer. Where there's mentoring, there's mentoring all around. We have mentoring, we have business mentoring, and we have financial mentoring. We have spiritual mentoring. I think about the mentors in my own life. From junior high, Tony Williams, to high school, Tim Bjork, to college, Gar Rhinesse, to Pastor Steve Day, to Pastor Jim Liljegren, <laughs> to Pastor Roland Neednagel, to Rod Stewart, to Pastor John Irwin, that have all mentored and spoken into my life. Many of them on a much more consistent basis, but it was something that I went to the majority of them and asked them to be a part of my life. There are people here that are like Paul, older, wiser, further along in your journey. There are also younger Onesimuses here that need someone older and wiser to come alongside to help mentor and guide and direct. Do you have a Paul in your life? Would you like one? Do you have an Onesimus that you're building into a legacy of change, of spiritual change in their life? God wants to use you to invest your life into the lives of others. Who is God calling you to invest in and believe in? Who is God calling you to take a risk on and to go have a conversation today after church and plan a coffee sometime this week to meet and to talk and to get to know each other's stories? whether it's older or whether it's younger, who is that for you? The best example of this taking a risk on someone is the story of Jackie Robinson, Brooklyn Dodger, the first African-American that broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. His rookie year for Brooklyn, he was playing second base and committed an error. And the crowd unleashed on him, booze, throwing things at him. And Pee Wee Reese, who was playing shortstop, a white player, comes over to Jackie Robinson in the middle of the crowd going berserk. Comes up next to ja Jackie, who's got his head down, mournful, sorrowful, and Pee Wee Reese puts his arm around Jackie's shoulders and stands there and stares at the crowd. 
who instantly becomes silent. Pee-wee Reese laid his reputation on the line for Jackie Robinson. And Jackie Robinson would later say that that one arm around his shoulders not only saved his career, but it changed his life forever. Who do you need to put your arm around and bring alongside you in your walk and journey with the Lord? As the band is coming up, I began asking myself the question, whatever happened to Onesimus? Now we don't know based upon Scripture what happened, but what we do know is we use scholarly speculation. We take Scripture and we use other writings to try to come to some conclusion about this. And what we know is that Ignatius later on who's a church leader, writes a letter to the church of Ephesus. And he writes it to the church of Ephesus, and Ephesus was known as the greatest church that ever has been. It was in the cultural center. In Ephesus, there was a temple to Diana. Diana was the god of intimate relations. But basically perverseness, bad, horrible things took place in Ephesus. But the church in Ephesus is known for closing down the temple of Diana and changing the entire city of Ephesus. And Ignatius, when he's writing to the church, writes to the pastor whose name is Onesimus. And he uses the phrase in this letter, pote de nuni. He once was useless, but now is useful. And so we can come to conclusion, not 100%, that this same Onesimus was the leader of the church in Ephesus and radically changed the world for Christ. But then we ask ourselves the question, why is this letter that has no heresy or no, uh, no, uh, no uh, contradiction to the heresy that was taking place in the church or any theological debate or anything like that, why is it in Scripture? Well, we find out that all of Paul's writings, all of his letters to the churches were gathered together in Ephesus before they were decided upon to be a part of the canonical, the biblical books that we have today. And we can come to some sort of conclusion that Onesimus, with this letter, says, this letter changed my life forever. We need to include it in the Bible. Now I'd be remiss if I didn't at this point invite anyone who's here 
who feels the prompting of the Holy Spirit saying, I have been useless. And I want to be useful in the hands of the Master. I may have grown up in church. I may have had parents that were followers of Christ. But those things don't make you a follower. Pote, I once was. Denuni, but now am. If you are here this morning and feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit, saying today is the day that you need to become a new creation. You need to have a denuni moment, but now I am a follower of Christ. And maybe for some of you right now, you're hearing things in your head saying, I've done too much bad. I'm not good enough. You don't know what I've done. That's a lie of Satan. And you need to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And today, turn your life over to Jesus. I'm going to pray. We're going to pray all together. And if that's your prompting today, that you want to follow Christ with your life and become a new creation in Him, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in the prayer. Let us all pray. God, you have brought us here today from all our different backgrounds, from different weeks that we've all had, some in foreign countries, some with family, some with people we like, we don't like. And you have gathered us together this morning under one roof. God, today if there is anyone here that needs a touch from you, that needs to lay down their life, to lay down their uselessness in order to take up their cross and follow you and become useful in your hand. May they pray something like this, God, I've messed up. I have not done anything worthy of being useful in your hand. But God, today I commit to putting my life, my decisions, my hopes, my dreams in the hands of the Master in order to be useful and to follow Jesus with all that I am. God, today, fill me up. Let me have that Danuni moment and be a new creation in you. If you've prayed that prayer, 
I'd ask you to raise your hand right now. If you needed Jesus to change you, to make you useful, raise your hand. Everyone's head bowed. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. May we as new creations, as useful tools in your hand, bless you and give you the praise and glory that you're due. In Jesus' name. As we leave this morning, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace and a happy new year as you become useful in the hand of the Master. God bless you. Have a great week and a happy new year. See you next week. Thank you.